evening, good afternoon, good morning. My name is Kevin Garber. I am the CEO of ManageFlitter.com. Um, I hope that we, um, you're a user of our product. I know we have many users who listen to this podcast. It is Friday, um, the 2nd of December, 2016. Uh, we nearly are done with 2016. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you find it interesting. Um, we've got a fantastic show lined up for you today. As usual, my co-host is the Manage Flitter Design Lead, Kate Frappel. How are you, Kate? I'm pretty good, thank you. How are you? Good. I think we're melting in the office today. It's um, scorching in Sydney. And um, of course, as luck would have it, our air con is out in the hottest day of the year. <laughs> but um, so be it. I just picture that we're sitting on a beach in Hawaii, right? Right. Well, it is the second day of summer. True. Technically. Technically. In Australia, it's, it's always sort of intrigued me. Summer started um, the beginning of December. In South Africa, summer sort of felt like it started in October. So mm. I, I could never, you know, when people say it's the first day of summer, I always want to say that it's been summer for a while. But I know in, in Australia, it's hard and fast, first of December. Yeah. That's when people consider summer to be. Although I feel like it's been summer for about a month now. Yeah, it's been, it's, it's, we've had some nice weather. Um, coming up later in the show, we chat to Peter Cohen, who's actually been on the podcast before. I think he's the, the most interviewed guest on the podcast. I think it's number three. And we had a fascinating chat about um, the Facebook news story phenomenon um, that's been, uh, you, you know, discussed. Did this face, fake Facebook the fake news stories on Facebook, did they impact the election? If so, is it Facebook's responsibility to help them? Who actually generates these fake news stories? We chatted a little bit about that. Peter Cohen is a, uh, um, a lecturer um, in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, in business, and um, he's also a writer for Forbes, a contributing writer for Forbes. So uh, we had a, a fantastic chat. That's coming up a little bit later. And we have a feature on um, the podcast um, every now and then. We try to do it weekly, but um, sometimes we, we miss it. We have a startup minute feature. If you're a startup, work for a startup, a founder of a startup, an investor in a startup, um, we like to, you know, give a, a little bit of publicity to interesting startups. Um, so we've had a startup going to come through this week um, coming up next. So um, if you want to be a part of it, just email an audio t- um, 30 seconds in length to podcast at itsamonkey.com. We'll play it on the show and we'll also give you that much valuable link in the show notes. Now, everything's about SEO and getting links and traffic. So that will definitely help you guys. So feel free to email us. But here's this week's Startup Minute. Hi, Kevin and the podcast crew. My name's Natalie Goldman. I'm the CEO of Flex Careers and it's great to be here as I love listening to your show. I wanted to take a minute to let you know all about Flex Careers. We're changing the way that careers work by redefining success, rewriting talent management and realigning workplace expectations with the workforce of today. Flex Careers is a disruptive online talent matching platform connecting talented women with progressive employers offering flexible work. We've engineered game-changing technology that is redefining careers by challenging convention and leading the future of talent matching and career support. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to let you know more about Flex Careers and love the work that you guys do. Thanks for supporting the entrepreneurial community. Bye. As always, we like to start off with a couple of news items just to uh, keep you up to date with some of the the goings-on in the tech industry. Kate, a few months ago, we were hearing a lot and seeing a lot of the phenomenon of Pokemon Go. What's happening with Pokemon Go? They've uh, come out with some statements recently. So since their initial release in August, their like user numbers have dropped dramatically. 
Uh, and now they're at this sort of stage where they're trying to get a lot of the, you know, initial uh, um, adopters back onto onto the game. Um, and some of the ways they're doing this are double rewards and extra points over holiday seasons like Thanksgiving and Halloween. Um, they're also bringing in anticipated Pokemon such as Ditto. So I'm looking at the graph of um, daily active users and it's, it's, it's this real amazing spike around the, the sort of beginning of August and then it mm-hmm. just starts great. It just starts plummeting. Yeah. Right, right down. So um, why did people lose interest? I mean, I, I, I'm not a, I've tried it once. I'm not really a gamer, but um, why did, were they so into it? And then why didn't it hold, um, it, uh, continue captivating its users? From my opinion, uh, Pokemon Go was sort of the first AR type game that came out. Mm-hmm. Like regardless of the fact that it was Pokemon, people were jumping on the on the idea of this sort of game. You know, I even downloaded it, played it with some friends, lasted a few months, but we quickly lost interest because we don't have an interest in Pokemon. But the people, I mean, you used to see swarms of people, you know, around the city catching Pokemons, etc. Uh, you know those is it because it just they sort of the the game offered them nothing new and it was just more of the same no i think it's the opposite the game right. actually offers something new you know these gamers are so used to so the novelty seeing, yes. so, so the novelty effect artificially bumped it up yes initially people right. people were like you know you never had to go outside to play the game you, know, right. you could sit in front of your tv with a game console now you actually had to get up and walk around to capture these pokemon um, so everybody jumped on the bandwagon. Then they just lost interest, you know, lost traction. Usual, just games are pretty tough to get traction. Yeah, I mean, they had a really great honeymoon period. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're actually going to be be chatting to an AR VR expert in one of the upcoming shows. So um, mm. you know, fascinating area, um, the AR and VR. But um, so they, yeah, I mean, they're still making quite a lot of money. I see in this article that they, you know, they're still making about over three million dollars a day you know that's a significant amount of money i mean not many companies you look at this graph and millions a day so no i mean i think they're also i mean in this article it says they're bringing out a an apple watch version but there's also been so many rumors on facebook that they're bringing out a harry potter version of the game right so you get rid of pokemon and suddenly all the harry potter fans are on the on the app yeah i mean there's definitely something in it it's 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 i'm sure we you know ar is this technology that's just waiting to break through people just yeah. want it to break through we all we all mm. want it you know um because we can just see the the incredible sort of fusion of of, of reality with 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 a created reality what that mm. can actually do yeah but you know what's interesting about pokemon too is you know they have this uh ar view so you've got the the creature that appears in a real life scenario. So for example, it's appearing on the chair next to you, right? But that view uses up way too much battery. So everyone turns it off. Right. So then you're back to this animated type vector image instead of being on the chair to save the battery. And that's where it's so often technological breakthroughs happen because of a coming together of various technologies. So, for instance, if suddenly battery technologies would improve, people yes. would be experiencing a better version of AR, right? Exactly. And so it goes. Mm. You know, so often it's there's a lot of dependencies that need to be sorted out. So, um, yeah. Well, let's let, let's see what um, 
what happens with with Pokemon Go. I tried it once or twice, and I, I'm not a gamer though, so no, I, I get bo- I get bored pretty off pretty easily with that sort of stuff. Yeah. Oh, I'll admit, I went out with two friends when it first came out, and we drove around. Um, sort of in the suburbs to try and find Pokemon. I mean, it's fun, but there's also lots of different um, things they've implemented to stop people from using it while driving. Yeah. And so if you're going too fast, you can't catch Pokemon. Right. You know, even if you're just a passenger. Right. Um, I mean, it was fun, but we haven't done it since. I think we've all deleted the app since then as well. Right. Because we're just not gamers, you know. <laughs> the, the ultimate insult, uninstall. Yeah, well, it's the thing. And the other thing as well is that if you're not really into pokemon then you don't you know you don't get that thrill out of catching particular pokemon like the only one i knew about was pikachu and i never saw pikachu right some people know all of them how many are there do you know no idea right some people (laughs) some people know um anyway that that's pokemon go and on the game theme um facebook are getting into the the game side of things through their messenger and i mean they're doing everything through messenger i mean i think they're backing it as just such a core part of um you know their, yeah. their offering yeah you know what i'm starting to get to a point where i feel like they've got too much there's way too much happening in there there's way too many options there's bots you can yeah. you know you can get news from a bot and messenger yeah you can form groups in messenger yeah Mas- messenger is now a, a gaming app it's snapchat and it's a messaging app but all in one so there's so much happening. So tell us about these games that they've announced. The games, are, a lot of them are the ones that have been around for a long time, you know, Farmville and uh, Worlds with Friends. Um, right. But what they've done is they've put it straight into Messenger so you can challenge your friends directly. Right. You can also post your results in your news feed apparently. Right. Um, you know, Candy Crush and stuff, you know, I see people in my newsfeed playing that all the time, but I don't know how they're challenging people. Right. I previously, I don't think it was in Messenger. Right. So this this may be a more direct way of engaging with them. Mm. I, I played something on Facebook Messenger a little while ago, actually. You know, I've just only remembered it now. Um, they brought out chess in Messenger. Okay. And I played with my one friend. Um, the syntax was a bit confusing Okay. to move. Like you had to put a certain set of instructions and both of us would struggle with the syntax every now and then we would. Um, but it was actually, it, it was quite fun. It, it, yeah. was, it was quite fun in between, you know, once a day or twice a day. It, you go and it's a little bit, you know, competitive and tease each other if you beat them mm-hmm. or whatever. So it's sort of, there's a bit of a novelty and a fun factor in there. Yeah. I mean, particularly if you can get into a group conversation too. It depends on the quality of the game. Mm. Yeah, and of course, gaming's massive. I mean, it's and it's, not only is gaming itself massive, but um, watching people play games is massive. You know, there's, there's a I whole think it's, culture around gaming. I think it's it's Twitch. Is it Twitch, which is like YouTube, but you watch people playing games. And um, there's some famous gamers that people love to watch play games. So, yeah, there's this whole world that you and I aren't really, mm. you know, <laughs> and, and we it. should we should probably, uh, if you're listening and you're a, a massive gamer or want to, you know, come and talk to us about Twitch and the phenomenon of watching people play games. And they are very complex, intricate games. So it's obviously it's it's it's, you know, apparently it's to see someone talented play these games is a thing. Anyway, we're going we're gonna to take a little break and when we come back, we're going to uh, play the interview I had with Peter Cohen, who um, he's a business lecturer and he is um, a contributor at Forbes magazine. I talked to him about um, fake news on Facebook 
and um, you know where this comes from is it affected you know is Facebook capitalizing on this in terms of their revenue are they getting a chunk of revenue because people are actually reading fake news articles etc we talk about all those things after the break hi my name is Dave Zarati and I'm the customer support specialist here at manage flitter manage flitter is a tool that helps you work faster and smarter on Twitter with manage flitter you can clean up and grow your Twitter account you will also get access to useful Twitter analytics social content scheduling, and much more. Go to manageflitter.com and start your free trial today. You're back with It's a Monkey Podcast. My name is Kevin Garber, and um, of course, a big news story over the last few months has been the American election. And um, one of the news pieces doing the round, or one of the sort of topics doing the round, was fake news on Facebook, and, and how has that influenced the election? According to a study, the Pew um, uh, research center they said uh, 44% of adults um, looked at Facebook or got a piece of election news at least once from Facebook so Facebook is hugely hugely inf influential and uh, Mark Zuckerberg came out with a few comments um, you know saying that uh, you know he's pretty sure that Facebook didn't sway the election and um, uh, in my inbox a couple of days ago Peter Cohen who's um, Electro in entrepreneurship at Babson College in, in Massachusetts, and he's a um, contributor at Forbes um, um, website. Um, he wrote an article um, about um, you know does Facebook generate over half of its ad revenue from fake news? And um, we've actually had Peter on the podcast before talking about various things, so I'm uh, happy to welcome him back. Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for inviting me. So let's just let's just it's quite an interesting phenomenon this 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 whole fake news on Facebook. Um, firstly, what's the difference between fake news, um, you know, subjective news, and um, you know, why is this this fake news such a such a problem? Well, um, first of all, I think it's a very interesting question. I mean, there's probably places where the line between fake news and opinion is sort of uh, blurry. But um, the uh, New York Times, um, I think it was last week or a week or two ago, um, did a, a very interesting story on a, a piece of fake news that was based on a um, photograph of a bus um, in, um, I think it was in um, Austin, Texas, I think it was. Um, and essentially what happened was that the tweeter, a person took a picture of the bus they uh, tweeted it out, and they said, this is a bus that, that was used to take uh, protesters uh, to Texas, and it's paid for by Hillary Clinton, and all the protesters on the bus are, uh, are Hillary Clinton uh, people who have been paid by Hillary Clinton to uh, protest the Trump election. So um, it turns out that um, this particular tweet was shared, say, 360,000 times um, all across Facebook and everywhere else. And then it turns out that um, somebody at the uh, New York Times or somewhere did a, uh, a call and discovered that the bus was owned by a company called Tableau Software that was using it to transport people who were attending a, uh, an event in Austin, Texas. So the uh, claim by this tweet was um, completely 100% false. Um, and the uh, people who actually shared the corrected version of the tweet, which basically um, disavowed the truth and kind of claimed that the whole original tweet was false, um, that was shared 3,600 times. So you can see that there's a huge appetite for fake news and not much of an appetite for correcting the fake news. So 
I mean, the interesting phenomenon why fake news is so compelling, which you note in your article, is the confirmation bias effect, right? Is that yes, when, we see um, th- when we see something that, that backs up our worldview, um, we, we, we'd like to be a part of uh, extending it and sharing it and communicating that. Exactly. I mean, this is something that um, I've, I've been teaching this for the last couple of semesters. I, I, one of the courses I teach is called Strategic Decision Making. And uh, about a year ago, I revised the course and added uh, several classes on this concept of, um, well, just uh, behavioral economics. And uh, the most popular, as far as I'm concerned, the most popular form of uh, behavioral economics is what you just mentioned, confirmation bias, um, which is essentially the idea that people somehow emotionally reach a conclusion uh, because of what uh, Daniel Kahneman, who wrote the book Thinking Fast and Slow and won a Nobel Prize in 2002, what he, what he noticed is that he, he kind of posited the existence of two kinds of systems in the human brain. One of them is called System 1. And what System 1 does is it kind of reaches a conclusion very quickly based on emotions and gut reaction and very little information. And then there's another thing called System 2, which um, is sort of what you're taught in school, which is gather a lot of data, evaluate the pros and cons, and reach a very well-informed conclusion. Uh, and it turns out that um, people don't always make their decisions based on system two. In fact, um, a lot of times what they do is they uh, reach a conclusion based on system one. And then um, when they see information uh, that comes in that may not be consistent with that system one conclusion that they've already reached, they reject it and say, you know, it doesn't, it's not really true. It's not relevant. And the only thing that's true is information that reinforces what I already believe. So you can go back to that example of the bus in Austin, Texas. Um, there's a lot of people out there who really wanted to believe that Hillary Clinton was paying people to protest. And therefore, when they saw that tweet, they uh, shared it with a lot of people who also wanted to see it. And I mean, Facebook isn't a publisher of news, right? But they, they've got very granular control over the news feed. What do you feel is their responsibility um, to, to, to get involved in this and to, to offset the confirmation bias? Or, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg said they're going to try to do a better job of flagging, um, you know, suspected um, sources. Where does Facebook themselves fit into all of this, you know, factoring, in, of course, freedom of speech and freedom of publishing and the fact that, you know, all of this is supposed to, all these platforms are supposed to democratize information? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, if, you know, if it, what, what I think is easy to do, um, and, and in my article I had a link um, to an article about this, it's very easy to put a, a banner on top of a fake news story and say, this is from a source that is generally producing fake news. So the person reading it would know that um, it was probably fake news. It's sort of like when I look at the New York Times online, they have these things called sponsored stories, which are basically advertisements sort of... Uh, somewhat dressed up to look like a real story. So, I mean, you know that if you click on it, you're going to get an advertisement. Um, so it seems to me that that is at any minimum what they should do. Um, you know, if it were up to me, I would uh, make sure that the only information that gets out on Facebook is true. But um, somehow or other, I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, and the, the interesting thing to me is that um, the reason, I mean, if Facebook wasn't making any money off of fake news, I don't think it would have a problem doing that. So it must be making a significant amount of money on fake news. But uh, the challenge that I've been uh, coming up with so far is figuring out exactly how much money they're making. But I'm pretty sure it's 
significant. Otherwise, they would just get rid of it, I think. And they, uh, and they make money basically just by having people on their platform consuming different content, which trickles through to the click-throughs on their ads. So it's an, it's an indirect money-making, right? Yes. Well, I think that what, what happens is that people spend their time on Facebook uh, doing a lot of different things. Um, and uh, essentially, one of the things that they do is they spend time watching news and or, or, or reading what they call news. Now, what's interesting to me is that um, there was a BuzzFeed news um, uh, article that I, I, I looked at um, and mentioned in my article uh, in Forbes. And what the BuzzFeed news analysis concluded was that um, during the run-up to the election, um, the uh, amount of fake, fake news um, that was out there represented 54.2% of the total amount of news. So there was more fake news than real news. Uh, and there was more shares of the fake news than there was of the real news um, by, uh, by slightly over half. Um, now, what I, what I also did was I talked to a professor at Harvard Business School who has explained to me a little bit more about how the advertising works, which is what you were suggesting. Um, and what he said was that it's not unreasonable to, um, e to estimate how much revenue they make based on how much time people spend doing different things on websites. And the way the advertising is normally, it, most of it is, is sold, is on the basis of a cost per click. So an advertisement goes up uh, next to your news feed, and if you click on it, then that is how uh, Facebook makes money. Now, the general feeling is that there's some proportionality between how much time people spend doing different things on, on uh, Facebook, like communicating with friends using me messengers or photos, or conducting commerce on brand pages, or reading news. Uh, and if you knew how much time they spent on those activities, um, and then you could um, figure out how much of their total time they're spending reading the news, uh, and then you figured out how much of the news they're looking at is fake, you could probably come up with a pretty good estimate for what Facebook's fake ad revenue is. So that's a long-winded way of saying um, that's the method I would use to try to estimate. Um, and I've asked Facebook to tell me, and they have uh, staunchly uh, uh, given me the cold shoulder. <laughs> no, no surprise about that. What I find you know, on the economic angle as well, so fascinating, Peter, is I sort of did a, did a bit of research into, you know, why are people writing these fake news stories? What's going on? What's the motivation? What's the economics on that side? And it's actually quite simple. I mean, most interestingly, most of these, a large proportion of these fake news stories have come from one town in Macedonia where these high school kids have worked out that uh, Trump's stories get shared the most on Facebook. Um, they create these, these fake news stories, often just scraped from, um, you, you know, uh, conservative sort of um, alarmist-type sites in the U.S. They create their sites. Um, they publish it on Facebook. The things get shared. People click through to their sites. They've got an AdSense account. They get traffic on their sites. And money trickles through to them. And being in Macedonia and students, you know, even a relatively small amount of money pays for the one kid said it pays for my musical gear, you know, and other things like that. And it's, it's quite remarkable. We live in a world that's, that, that hacks like that can have such large trickle-through effects right through to the election of, of, you know, arguably the most powerful person in the world. Yes, um, it is... Uh in some respects, um, I admire their entrepreneurial skill. Uh, on the other hand, um, 
I feel as though there's something nefarious and evil about it. Um, but maybe that's just reflecting my own political views. Um, in any case, um, I definitely think that uh, there is, it's very powerful, but the real, the real power, I think, actually, from a political standpoint, and this is sort of stepping away from the economic side for a moment, but the real power is um, which candidate can create that emotional connection with voters, and, and enough voters, so that they, the emotions, the, the emotional connection they create makes, gives them a hunger for uh, news that reinforces what they have been made to believe because they have this emotional connection with one of the candidates. So the interesting thing is you mentioned the Macedonia thing. I think they tried to, uh, and I don't know if you mentioned this, but I think they tried to uh, come up with news that would be related to um, Hillary Clinton, and it just didn't make them much money. Mm, so that, they tried really Donald Trump. Yeah, that's and really that, And that was the one that made them the money. So essentially they were not being loyal to any candidate. They were being loyal to their own desire to make money. They, it was all greed. It was all which one will make the most money. And they found out that, um, you know, it's almost as if the amount of money they were making on fake news was a very um, useful metric for how much emotional connection there was between uh, both candidates and their voters. I mean, um, I, th I think, and, and, and not to go down the whole political rabbit hole, but, you know, if, if I was in the, the, the Democrat Party now, I would really, there's some, I mean, there's some really interesting findings amongst all of this, and, you know, and right back to your point about the, the emotional connection, etc. you know, there's almost some really interesting A-B testing that has been done on their behalf. Exactly. Well, I mean, essentially, it's, I mean, I'm really not, uh, I, it, part of me was, um, looking at um, reports on the New York Times about what the New York Times thought that Hillary Clinton had about an 84% chance of winning the election the night of the election. Uh, but I had this gut fear, a fear that I got from talking to people over in the UK about the Brexit vote, that um, there was a much stronger um, emotional connection between Trump and his voters than there was between Clinton and her voters. Um, so essentially, the... Um, the uh, predominance of the fake news is just a, is a reflection of the strength of the candidate in creating a, an emotional bond with the, with the voters. So uh, I think it's a reflection of the fact that Hillary Clinton uh, did not have passionate voters who really were emotionally connected to her. I, th I think um, Barack Obama did a much better job of creating emotional connections uh, with enough voters so that he won uh, twice. And I think that uh, essentially it's a measure of her uh, relative lack of skill as a retail politician. Um, so I don't think there's any uh, any remedy for that uh, that's that's um, kind of uh, buried in those in the statistics that would you would get from analyzing fake news, except that it would just show you what is sort of uh, on the face of it kind of obvious to uh, to somebody who is like observing the two candidates that one of them was a better. Uh, better creating an emotional connection than the, than the other one. And so I think, you know, the next election in America will probably also come down to which candidate is able to create the stronger emotional bond with a, you know, enough, enough voters to get them to sort of win. Interesting. And of course, you, you know, creating emotional connections with your voters and um, fake news, these are all not new phenomena. I mean, the only thing new is that these platforms allow you to amplify um, so much, you know, in such a remarkably concentrated manner. Well, I mean, what, what I th the way I think about it is that, um, uh, and, I, and I've long wondered why people, in my opinion, waste so much time on Facebook. I mean, I just, I, I always find it appalling how, you know, much pr productivity is lost because of people 
wasting time on Facebook. But um, I, you know, I'm not on Facebook, so I kind of don't have that emotional attachment. But what I have noticed is that one of the things I mentioned in my article, which I wrote about several years ago, was the idea that um, uh, people who spend time on Facebook, if somebody likes something they put on Facebook or they get some kind of a response, they get a little shot of dopamine in their brain. Mm. So in a way, it's a dopamine delivery system or it's a dopamine stimulus system. So, I mean, dopamine is a powerful drug that makes people, I mean, it's a chemical that makes people feel good. So people are hunger, hungry for that, you know, dope, dopamine uh, <clears throat> injection. And I'm guessing that somehow or other the dopamine, um, uh, the initial dose of dopamine that works for you um, is not enough over time. You need more and more and more. So you're you're hungry for it. And so, you know, being able to keep getting these um, blasts of dopamine by seeing more fake news that talks about how great Donald Trump is um, and how terrible Hillary Clinton is, is, you know, really highly in demand by all these people. But I mean, some of these domains that the Macedonian kids set up, I mean, they so obviously, you know, DonaldTrumpNews.co, you know, uh, TrumpVision365.com. Um, exactly. US, USDailyPolitics.com. Um, I mean, I think if people saw, if people knew that it was, um, if people who were looking for news, uh, fake news, had a little, saw a little label on top that said this is fake news, they wouldn't care. They'd still love to share it with other people because it, it's saying what they <clears throat> want to hear. I think, um, you know, every now and then I bump into people that are into quite remarkable conspiracy theories. And I always say to them, you know, and the way they talk with such passion about these conspiracy theories, of course, they don't label it conspiracy theories. But I just, you know, I say to them, it's just because your conspiracy theory is just so colorful. And the truth is usually quite boring. Yeah, people really like good stories. I mean, that, that's another thing that comes out of um, this uh, Kahneman book, Thinking Fast and Slow, is, you know, like right in the beginning of the book, he kind of talks about how important it is to convey information in the form of good stories. Um, this is another mystery that I, I, I don't think I've figured this out yet, but people do love good stories. So conspiracy theories are often very compelling stories, and they don't want to let go of them. Yeah, the truth the, the truth is pretty boring. So... Um, Facebook, um, Facebook and fake news. I mean, I mean, there's, there's. Do you think that it would be pretty easy to draw the line between, um, you know, subjective opinion pieces and fake news? That maybe if they just, you know, the the very clearly fake news stories will will sort of remove about ninety percent. You know, so stories that say the Pope has endorsed, um, you know, Donald Trump. Um, you know, but do you think that just turning the dial down slightly? will increase, um, you, you know, the, the signal-to-noise ratio significantly? Um, you know, part of me is thinking that um, what would happen is that people would look at the, uh, if, if you labeled, you know, the, the story about a pope endorsing Donald Trump as fake, uh, people would assume that the label was fake. Um, but it's possible if they just <laughs> stop publishing, if they stop oh, publishing gee. those those stories um, altogether, if they just kind of said, this is fake, we're not publishing it, um, there's a possibility that uh, people would go elsewhere where it w was published, or there's a possibility that people would spend more time on real news or spend more time doing other things. Or, you know, maybe that's the strongest thing that's keeping people going to Facebook. So maybe they'd go to some other social network. I mean, it's kind of a, an interesting uh, thing to consider. And certainly, my my instinct is telling me that um, Facebook um, can't really justify uh, publishing so much fake news on a moral or ethical grounds. 
Um, so it kind of hides behind this sort of fakey sounding kind of we're not we're we're not uh, expressing political opinions here. We're just a platform, this kind of neutral uh, idea, which I find kind of uh, I mean, I, I just I just don't buy it. I mean, I think that there's lines that are drawn in society and, uh, you know, I think they've really crossed the line. And uh, the real reason that they are trying to maintain this patina of being an objective platform is because of the amount of money that they would give up if they got rid of fake news. And but I, I don't know how much money it is. And of course, feeding into another conspiracy theory, Peter Thiel, who's a board member of Facebook and one of the first in external investors, um, you know, was a very outspoken supporter of Trump as well. Yes. And Silicon Valley um, investor and one of the few Silicon Valley people to really be such a vocal supporter of Trump as well. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting possibility. I mean, who knows whether there are some deals between Facebook and Breitbart and all these other fake news, uh, you know, providers that, uh, you know, help make a lot of money for Facebook during the election um, that nobody wants to talk about or no one can disclose. I mean, the beauty of a conspiracy theory is that if nobody gives you any information, then there's nobody to tell you that it isn't true. You so can, you can say whatever you want, right? Exactly. But I, I kind of uh, enjoy, you know, when I first wrote this story about does half of Facebook's revenue come from uh, from fake news, uh, I sort of was thinking to myself, I, I'm kind of consciously writing a somewhat uh, a story that has it, it sort of approaches the border of being fake news myself. Right. So I'm using sort of a fake newsy kind of a headline to kind of make a point about uh, about how Facebook is making money right, off gotcha, gotcha. fake news. Gotcha. Sort of beat them uh, but, at their own game, right? Well, not I didn't really do that very much because I didn't want to I didn't want to really cross the line in an obnoxious way. But my point is that um, I don't really have any information about how much money Facebook is making on fake news. But at least I was able to get some sort of a methodology, uh, which I want, which is more than I had. But when I started working on it, and I still have the question, and I still think it's an important question, and I'm going to keep trying to get a number. Um, and so uh, maybe. Who knows? Maybe in the not too distant future, I'll, I'll have uh, more uh, more information on that. But you know, you're right. If, if, if there's a conspiracy theory and there's elements there, and you don't have enough information, then um, you know you can sort of you want to fill in the blanks so the story is more interesting with some fake information that makes the story better. And uh, you know, maybe Peter Thiel was behind it all. Maybe he had nothing to do with it. Who knows? And uh, can I ask you if you are an investor in Facebook? Do you own Facebook shares? I'm allowed to ask. I that? am not. I am not an investor in Facebook shares, right. and uh, I have been sort of waiting to uh, for the stock price to go down so much that I just could not resist buying shares of it anymore. But I am not an investor, and uh, at the same time, I am thinking this is one of the few companies that um, is so big that's growing so fast. So to me, the you know the real the best kind of company to invest in is one that is both big and growing over 20% a year. And I think Facebook is pretty incredible, but the valuation seemed kind of high to me. And they, so they, anyway. they, they're running out of humans on the planet to get as users, right? Exactly. I don't know what they're going to do to increase the amount of time people spend on it because they can't get any more users. So where are they going to get their next growth from? Yeah, yeah that's a yeah, good point. Yeah, probably, probably Oculus and VR. And, uh, but um, yeah, it, Peter, I uh, really appreciate your time. It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating topic. Uh, Peter Cohen is um, 
uh, a lecturer at uh, Babson College in Massachusetts in business strategy and entrepreneurship. Also contributed on Forbes magazine. Wrote a fantastic article. Does Facebook generate over half its ad revenue from fake news? We'll put uh, links up on the show notes um, as well to his Twitter account. And uh, Peter, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks, Peter. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. Kate, Facebook, elections, news stories, we can't just uh, get away from it. But um, what I find so fascinating, <laughs> they're these teenagers in Moldova mm-hmm. that just work out how to hustle some web traffic yeah. And get some pocket money, and it just <laughs> sort of, you know, trickles right through to the election of the U.S. president. I know. Yeah. I mean, I think back to when I was sixteen. There's no way I could do half of the stuff they're doing. You know, building websites and and doing all Facebook ads and, and clickbait. Like, I wouldn't have a clue. I mean, it's it's really. I I, I don't think there's a conspiracy behind it. I think it's just literally opportunistic. Uh, youngsters yeah you know and um yeah look it's a hard to know you know fa- i think facebook's in a relatively tricky position it's a very you know balancing the freedom of speech and you know they're not publishers and you know facebook's become so powerful it's almost like the government anything goes wrong you sort of it's facebook's fault yeah and because facebook have dipped their fingers in so many different things their definition of what facebook is changes you know, so many people are claiming that it's a media platform now, um, which in many respects it is. But initially it was to connect with friends. It's going to be interesting to see how they deal with this, you know. And I think, as I mentioned in the talk with Peter, there's going to be some huge learnings for the Democrat Party out of this and why, you know, the, all those p- people love sharing those fake Donald Trump articles. But, the, the, you know, it's, it's fun reading in the articles there. The, the, the teens say they, they tried to do fake Hillary Clinton articles and no one would share them. No, know? I mean, Trump's good news. People, if, even if people don't agree with it, they find it entertaining. Do you, I mean, do you ever bump up against fake news articles in your Facebook feed? Um, I don't know about fake. Clickbait, definitely. Right. I've had articles. I recently had one that um, really infuriated me. It was, you know, 50 places women shouldn't travel on their own, right? Right. And I opened it, which I shouldn't have. Right. And and it was ridiculous. You know, they were listing off Central Park in New York as being one of the most dangerous places for a woman to travel on her own. And I was like, this is just a piece of rubbish. Right. They're just trying to get traffic. Yeah, right? you know, they're just trying to get clicks. And and that article had so much, so many comments and likes and mostly people disagreeing with it. But mm. all this engagement for a rubbish article. I mean, the problem with all of this is, you know, it's it's all playing on human nature. Really. Yeah. I have a question in regards to, you know, everybody's getting on the bandwagon and saying that it's Facebook's fault. You know, why, why are no other social channels getting the same criticism? I mean, Twitter's getting a lot of criticism for the trolls and the abuse and the harassment. I mean, they, mm. they really, really are. And they've recently rolled out um, a whole bunch of new mute features 
on Twitter to, to, to even identify certain keywords. If people tweet something with a keyword, you know, you can filter that out. You can block certain conversations. They're not getting so much criticism around the fake news side of things. So the article that Peter did cite uh, or that, that, that experiment mm. um, was actually a Twitter one where the, the fake version of the article got all the shares and the true one didn't get many shares. So that wasn't Twitter. I think, I think it's just a virtue of the fact that Facebook is the dominant player yeah. you know, by far. There's nothing. I mean, you know, Twitter's at, what, 400 million active monthlies and Facebook's at nearly 2 billion. You know, it's, it's, it's just so much more significant. Journalism is going a lot, undergoing a lot of navel-gazing at the moment. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, I follow a lot of journalists on Twitter and they, they're really self-reflecting, you know, where their place is in this clickbait type world that we live in yeah definitely the other thing is that facebook is getting a lot of criticism to and support to add in add in a feature that that stops these articles from coming through on your facebook newsfeed. i sort of agree with twitter's approach of, of muting or or blocking things and flagging it rather than relying on a platform like facebook to make those decisions for you I agree. I mean, they are looking at one of the options they did say, you know, is, is allowing people to flag it easier and, and crowdsource it. It's, it's, you know, all of these platforms are up against human nature. You know, mm. you look at email. I mean, email used to have a massive problem with spam. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's only the last few years that the spam filters have gotten good enough to not have these false positives and, you know, it's you up against you up against human nature the whole time and it's a complicated it's a compli- complicated force that and we always like to look for a scapegoat and if and if people didn't want Trump to get in it's it's easy to point fingers. At yeah, I mean, I I some of the articles I've read, I feel like they they're sort of looking for a, someone to point the finger at because they can't believe that the human race voted Trump in yeah they don't want to take the blame they want to say oh no it's Facebook's fault because they gave us you know misinformed information yeah how many people do you think voted for Trump because they saw an article that the Pope endorsed Trump it would be really Uh, interesting I doubt it I really doubt it I think we all have an individual responsibility to to read between the lines and say do I believe this or not like is this rubbish is this true we do we do we have to we have to assume that um you know, people have it, if they voters, they, you know, they, and in fact, they don't even need a reason to justify who they vote for as well. No. I mean, that's the. I think as well that a lot of people are surprised because it's sort of a, a silent vote. So many people didn't verbally or vocally announce their support for Trump, but voted for him on the sly. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, you know, time will time will tell. I mean, the Peter Thiel angle is quite interesting as well, you know, and, and what was so interesting about the story was, He's been so well known to be to pick to pick winners, mm. you know. And when he came up and he supported Trump, boy, I mean, Silicon Valley went crazy. I mean, there was calls for you know him to be you know all the companies that where he was on the board got under you know real criticism, and there were these debates. You know, you know, if I think David Hansen Hanemeyer, he's one of the founders of um, Basecamp. I think it's called Base now. Is it base. Called? 37 Signals Base Camp you guys no, use for? still Base Camp. Is it still Base still Camp? Base so he had an engagement with one of the founders of Y Combinator, which is an accelerator. Okay. And I think 
I think Peter Thiel is involved in that somehow as well. And David Hanneman, uh, I think I get his name right, David Hanneman, Hanemeyer, he, you know, was, was saying, you know, you, you, you guys need to get rid of him type thing. And then, um, you know, the Y Combinator guy said, well, would you fire a staff member if they supported Trump? You know, is it that? Because mm. that's literally, that's just what's that's, going on. That's yeah. the only thing that's going on. And David said, yes, right? Mm. So, um, you know, so it open up. It's blurring the lines. It's blurring the lines. Yeah, and he's it's, entitled to an opinion. Of course. And you're entitled to, if, if, you know, he at the end of the day, Trump was a candidate of a major party in the US. Yes. You know, so, you know, how can you ask someone to step down from the board for supporting a major? It's not like he's supporting, you know, some fringe, you know, um, you know, group. So um, it opened up all this discussion, you know, when Peter Thiel um, came up and there were a lot of the Silicon Valley people were really, you know, disheartened. But then Trump won. And then people sort of looked at Thiel and said, wow, the, again, this guy just picked the winner. Yeah. You know, he was involved in, 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 in all these companies that have just, you know, Facebook, he was the guy that wrote $500,000, you know, one of the first mm. external investors in Facebook, right? Okay. Right. And you, that, that $500,000 turned into billions, you know? And yeah. so he saw something, I mean, and, and again, getting conspiratorial, uh, Peter Thiel is the founder of a company called Palantir in Silicon Valley. Now, Palantir um, are a big data company. They work a lot with governments mm. to, to even sometimes try to pick up when epidemics are happening or security issues or and it's a very hush hush company that's got these big government contracts and you know people are wondering if through this data that he had access to you know mm. peter Thiel could see that you know this guy's gonna win i'll back this horse type thing yeah maybe i mean i recently read too that every every presidential election twitter has picked the winner based on the amount of engagement and hashtags and stuff of the different candidates. Mm. Interesting. So, um, yeah, well, uh, you know, I think the next election, which is going to be in four years' time, is going to be super interesting. Mm. And the way people use social. I mean, Obama, I think, was the, you know, the, the internet election, sort of, you know, YouTube and things like yeah. that. And, and I think this has been the social. Um, the social, yeah. yeah. I was actually looking at Trump's Twitter the other day and um, – yeah, he does. He has a very celebrity style Twitter account. Very you know? much. When you look at, you know, I was looking at other other ones like for the Queen or, you know, even Obama or, or presidents, um, prime ministers, I mean, of other countries. Very formal, very, um, very curated measured. Yeah, very tweets. curated. His yeah. are just like, like any old person just sitting in a car tweeting their thoughts out. The famous, the funny one was when he was talking about, you know, um, talking about who to put on his executive team. And he said something like, I'm still considering, I haven't announced anything. Only I know who the finalists are. You know, people <laughs> <laughs> said, you're not in The Apprentice anymore. You know, it's, um, yeah, look, at least it's given us all, you know, it's, it's stirred things up, shaken the tree. You know, we're talking about all these issues, which in a way is 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 a good thing mm. about it. And um, you know, let's let's see what the four years. Let's let's hope it let's hope it works out okay. Um, and um, yeah, anyway, that's been episode seventy of the It's a Monkey Podcast. Please um, tweet us at Monkey Podcast, email us at podcast at itsamonkey.com. We'd love to hear from you. Have a look at the show notes at itsamonkey.com. We put up links to the, um, the guests. We put up links to the articles that we speak about. If you're interested in the Startup Minute, email us 30 seconds. We'll give that valuable free publicity 
for your startup. Um, and uh, we really hope um, that you enjoyed the show. So uh, thanks from myself and Kate.